Hello and welcome to episode 147 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. This week we're talking JR's pick, the recently released Pablo Lorraine film El Conde uh, from this year on Netflix in the U.S. And, uh, you know, going to talk about other stuff we watched as well and no trailers because nothing seemed that great to me anyway i mean and i think kevin agreed on the text yeah uh, I, mean, I mean the new i guess you know like there's the monster trailer the Korea film but i mean you know i don't know how we're gonna talk about every little foreign film that comes out am i right jr forget right. it foreign films are stupid yeah dumb uh this new movie with angus cloud apparently called your lucky day the late great angus cloud i don't know anyway um, yeah, so no trailer talk this week. It's just, you know, let's, fuck, let's just dry, dive right into El Conde, am I right? That's right. This is a, uh, a film that was released. JR, you We're picked this? specific, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, released on Netflix, I guess. I kind of thought this would be something of like a festival darling. I don't really think it it was, and maybe it didn't mm. have a chance to be. But um, it stars uh, Jamie uh, Vidal, I believe, as uh, Jaime. Jaime, Jesus Christ, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Jaime Vidal as uh, as El Conde, who is uh, Augusto Pinochet. Pino, Pinochet. You know what? I'm Pinochet. Cutting, cutting bait. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get any Spanish right today. I'm sorry. Um, awful uh, dictator of Chile for for at least multiple decades. I, th- I think it was 20-ish years. Yeah. Um, it turns out he's a vampire. And we get a nice little history of Pinochet as a French vampire in the 1700s, living through the French um, Revolution. And he decides after that that he likes oppressing people uh, and eventually acquires his own uh, kingdom in which to oppress people in Chile. And uh, this is about him after he is overthrown on an isolated and desolate sort of island. And uh, he's with his family and he wants to die. And a nun comes to um, deal some account- with some accounting stuff. But yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, what do we think? Great this question. Was, this was a really interesting movie with a lot of disparate things going on. And, like, um, spoiler alert, you know, let's just get right into it. I, at no time during the first, you know, whatever hour and whatever of this movie, I had no idea that it was being narrated by Margaret Thatcher, oh, you're starting who was, her, yeah, who was in fact herself a vampire. Well, that's that's a reveal. That's a uh, like spoiler know. alert. <laughs> starting heavy spoilers here. Well, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, come yeah, on. that's that's what we do. That's what we yeah. do. That's why the people come to us. If uh, right. it, you know, we like to thank everyone for waiting three weeks to see this. Uh, this movie that Netflix certainly wanted to be a big deal. Thank you for waiting for us to get to it. And, uh, and if you're waiting for this episode to drop, then, uh, you know, we've ruined the movie for you. 
Okay, I, I don't think that ruins. You should watch the, the film before like you listen to this. Obviously, yeah, yeah. I would hope so. Yeah, I don't, I don't think. Uh, I mean, it's a reveal. It's not a plot-heavy movie with like twists. Mm. I, I would say. Uh, in fact, I think the movie goes out of its way to like ruin twists occasionally. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's that's part of it. Can you give an example of that? Uh, so like kind of, oh, we know the nun is a nun and not an accountant. We know that she's been hired by the children, even though the film seems to treat, um, that is like, like she's interviewing the kids separately without El Conde, um, in a way that makes me think that like, like the kids have forgotten why she's there, which is weird. Mm -hmm. Didn't, Didn't really get, uh, why that was happening. And, uh, you know, it's, like you think that it's going to be like some weird thing where the, uh, where Alcani does not find out that she's a nun, uh, disguised as a, again, like inheritance lawyer, maybe. Mm. I don't, uh, but the Butler ruins that really quickly and he's still, he's still chill with it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, you know, like, you know, here's big reveal number two or three, uh, the Butler did it. <laughs> right, oh yeah you know <laughs> so um yeah because it's it's kind of sort of presented as as a mystery of like somebody is going around chile removing people's hearts and you know that kind of gets the attention of the kids and it gets them out to the island to visit their dad and then they, and then they start talking about you know like when are we going to get this fat inheritance from a guy that yeah. we know we know our father is a vampire and we know that he could live for, you know, who knows how long. Um, and but then, of course, it is revealed that the butler is also a vampire. And uh, when that scene is filmed, uh, which I liked uh, of the vampire flying around, you know, away from mm-hmm. the island and through the city, I, I kind of like the way that looked. Um, you know, we do not see any like clear image of of el conde uh being the vampire doing vampiric things murdering people uh in fact the narration is like you would never you always like slice the neck you would never cut through the chest uh as we're watching the vampire cut through the center of the chest which i actually liked i liked i liked that the what was happening on screen was different than what the narration was telling us that was cool nice little Mm. little cool five second bit um but and then before it's revealed or before the butler says he did it you know el conde actually does go out hunting and we get this whole bit uh from the narration about how he's rusty and he's bad at it and he's fumbling through things so it's like okay so he didn't go out hunting a few weeks ago or whatever it's like he hasn't done this in years so again just uh a reveal that is probably ruined before we actually find out the information but it's that's okay uh because this movie isn't about uh shouldn't be about the twists i don't think Mm. what is this movie about though that's a great question (laughs) yeah i think it's um like i don't as i was watching it i was like is this like you know i was wondering if it's some searing indictment of um like you know um vampires as a metaphor for dictators because you know there's no there's no shortage of those in uh south america um but then it's like but it's also like a family drama you know like some kind of like faulkner deal where 
they're dealing with like some horrible patriarch who they're just all waiting for him to die and um you know kind of like uh maybe maybe an amberson's thing going on here too what's that um, uh that michael j fox movie uh greed or greedy you know what i'm talking about it's like mm. him and um hang on <laughs> <laughs> It's like that though. It's like he's like a he's like a son, and he's he's got siblings, and they're all looking to get the inheritance from the old man who's about to die. I've I haven't seen that. I don't think I know that. But I was thinking uh, of Knives Out. This is like oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. most sedate version of of Knives Out. And you know, and the patriarch hasn't been killed, of course. But uh, mm. it's just there's definitely that part of it. But then there's also like the um, the religion part with the mm. nun and uh the nun is eventually turned and you know there's kind of like a a double and triple cross thing happening with that but at, at one point i was like was the catholic church like a huge part of pinochet's like rule uh and like is this about how you know even like the strongest you know believers are um are easily corruptible, easily corrupted. I I was really searching for what goes on, and then that doesn't make sense with with where with where the nun ends, of course. But I thought that the um the the like metaphor of the dictator who is a vampire who has you know sucked his people clean of money, like uh, this kind of idea, like he's stolen millions of dollars. It's just like <laughs> it's a really like super surface level um, idea. And I, it's not it's yeah. it's dealt with in a very surface way, and uh, it's not super interesting beyond like just what it is, in my opinion. And uh, that's that was my yeah. that was my you know one of my biggest issues with the film was just that it's like you know I don't know what Lorraine is trying to get at with well, uh, it, this idea. It's almost like so surface level that I I don't want to call it a metaphor. It's almost just like mm. like this parallel. Mm-hmm. There, there are a few parallels in the movie to to real world, and I and I think that introducing the the Thatcher character, revealing Thatcher, uh, I think made it dumber for me. I agree. Um, and I don't know enough about you know the history of Chile and uh, the Falklands War and Thatcher and stuff, but like like I get she was an awful dictator or not dictator, sorry, just an awful like like ruler, prime minister. She is not. She's not well regarded, uh, but mm. I don't know the specifics. Uh, I'm pretty sure she did not like murder citizens in Great Britain in cold blood, like in mass numbers the way that I think, she did. Uh, maybe I think, maybe she did. I don't know. I think that they the comparison would be the what like the IRA and like the stuff that was going on in Ireland at the time. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and I mean, all than that in a bad and, way. I mean, did the Falklands yeah. War kind of did they give more power in some way to, to Pinochet? Like is, is he, is he like the son of Thatcher and that like he could not have existed without, you know, her enabling him? I, I have no idea. I don't know. I mean, like, like the, the whole, j- just to get off on the, um, hi- you know, history nerd tangent here, like the whole thing with the Falklands, like people, I think most people think that 
the Falklands War, if they think about it at all, like they think it's Britain waging war on some little group of islands in the South Atlantic. But it was actually like they were fighting Argentina, which had a military dictatorship in place. Um, so, yeah, we probably put it there. I'm just guessing. Maybe. I don't know. Like we put we put Pinochet in power. I was reading about okay. him earlier. So oh, okay. <laughs> America backed him uh, they, to get rid of the leftist government that was in I mean, place. We backed. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that goes through like most of the movie. It's like the leftist this, the leftist that, and like, well, and that's what they have in the, common too. Is like they're both super anti-communist. They're both super anti-unionist. Mm. Uh, like they're you know, I mean, but, but I agree with what Jr. was saying. Is that it? It, it seems to be a comparison that you're meant to make and then it like it lessens the severity of what pinochet did by comparing him to someone who is like you know a shitty prime minister a conservative like you know somebody who's essentially ronald reagan who yeah probably is responsible for war crimes and such as such and such but Mm. uh you know pinochet is like essentially genociding people in his own country i mean it's it's a little different i don't know and it's like not uh it, it seems to like uh almost be like a pol- apologist towards Pinochet. I'm sure yeah. that's, not, that's not at all what they were trying to get at, but you know. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah. and there's, there's like another parallel, like, so Thatcher was kind of, she was kind of the female Trump in England mm-hmm. in the eighties. Like, yeah, she herself wasn't, you know, wasn't an avowed, you know, nationalist, but, because of the things that she was saying, like like Trump here, you know, the far right and, you know, nationalists felt more comfortable in expressing those views in a very public way. And, you know, also, you know, he's, you know, been very publicly, you know, been huge uh, uh, proponent of Putin, who, you know from all that we can see is, you know, a super, you know, dictator who is, you know, probably responsible for a lot of death. And, um, like, (laughs) so yeah, it's kind of, you know, like, yeah, there's, there's the kind of wish you, you know, lesser versions who are backing the like really, you know, really horrible ones. And America has a history of doing that. Uh, you know, if we can mm. back a awful dictator who will commit genocide, uh, that's okay as long as they're not communist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if capitalism is safe around the world, then, you know, it's fine. Um, or, yeah. the <laughs> Yeah. Um, and with the Thatcher thing, I also just, I think, turning him into, like, this this ancient mama's boy right at the end just uh, did not fly for me at all. Yeah. And, and, and the, it's like the, we'll call it, I'll call it like the stinger, like the end of what actually happens is just um, like Peter Shea does not die. Of course um, we get a, another vampire rule right at the end. If you drink the blood of other vampires, it's uh, it gives you, you know, re- it revives you. It de-ages you. And he de-ages himself all the way to like a small child with, Thatcher de-aging herself to like a forty-year-old mother or something, and it's mm. I was just like this is silly. It's uh, 
I was just, I thought uh, towards the end I was just thinking like um doesn't does it need to be Pinochet? Does it need to be an actual historical figure even, you know? Wouldn't like you could make the points and not uh risk the sort of, you know, offensive comparisons by just making it like a generic South American dictator who ha- who obviously would be based on somebody like Pinochet, but you don't have to say it's Pinochet, right? Because it's like, I, I mean, I, I just like feel like if you're a, I don't know, I feel like it's he, he didn't rule that long ago. And it's like, there's probably, I don't know, this just feels like it's in poor taste, maybe, the whole thing. I don't know. It's like, I feel like Lorraine's handled Pinochet well before, in you know, like, no is definitely about living under or living in that, um, that oppressive reign. Mm-hmm. And mm. uh, that's good. But this is like a, I mean, just the the, I mean the 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 tone of this movie is well, I've well, for one, I think it's like really inconsistent throughout the whole thing. Like it's bizarrely violent and gruesome at times, and then it's like trying to be funny. I think at other points, and like I, mm. for me, it, the comedy doesn't work at all. But the uh, and then it just has like these weird moments, like you were talking about, where the the accountant nun lady is like saying things that are completely, you know, out of hand, and uh, the people are just not reacting to what she's saying. Like when she says uh, she's there to sow confusion so that everybody gets to each other's throats, and they're just like, oh, okay, great. And it's like that felt like Boonwellian to me. It's like surrealist or absurdist. Yeah. And it's like mm-hmm. not like the the rest of the movie is not really like that. Except for the fact that, you know, it's about a dictator as a vampire. But I don't know. It's just like stuff like that was just strange to me. It just felt like they were he was like grasping at straws maybe a little bit in his writing. But yeah, I mean, I, I would I would see him using like actual historical figures, you know, just based on the track record of uh, Jackie and um, yeah, he's definitely uh, interested Spencer, in so, historical yeah. and political figures for sure. I'm not yeah. I wouldn't argue that I just, you know. I don't know. I just don't know. Like the again, it's, a lot of it is just including Thatcher, and it like sort of changes everything. It's just so bizarre. It's such a strange choice. Yeah, and it is. It is kind of like, yeah, it's it's weird. Like I I lost track of how many of the kids, like you know, there's definitely one of them who's like you know, you're gonna kill my father. You're gonna do this. You're gonna do that. Right. And so like you know. Like, I'm not I don't remember if she um, knows that she's a nun in disguise or if maybe she just thinks like she's some like, Van, you know, some Van Helsing type figure or, you know, just um, some run of the mill like exorcist or whatever. But like, you know, it's this. But like some of the kids know, seem to know at least one of the kids knows yeah, I thought I, I thought it was only one until later on when they're all talking about it. I right? Assume, yeah, assume yeah. It was just the one daughter who like hired her or something. Yeah, it's like you know, there's, it's like there's exposition that's like missing. Yeah. Or like thing things are established and, uh, you know, all that which kind of is stuff. just weird because like ultimately I think like so much of the dialogue here is exposition. Not only do we get like narration, which is uh, constantly expository and, and more. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of what the nun ends up saying in those little interviews is 
exposition to just like remind us of all like these specific little money things and you know we're just like up until the end again we're just getting like new rules for how to blend hearts and like i don't know just yeah constant information Mm. and without uh, you know things kind of cohering the um i really i think my favorite sequence in the film is like the peter pan-esque uh you know, like learn to fly sequence so again oh, yeah. just really liked the exterior shots of the island and i liked her kind of just fumbling through the flying and I, I thought it looked uh i thought it looked cool and um again there's kind of just like no idea behind it yeah i think i to was me. uh I like the I, I like the visual of the flying, especially of him flying through the city like you were saying earlier. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, her flying. By the time that happened, I was like, okay, I don't know why. I don't even know why he turned her. Like, I don't know what's happening exactly. Like, I, don't, I just don't. <laughs> again, it just comes from a of, of, from a point of like, I don't know what this movie is about. Like, what what are we trying to get? Like, what are we getting out of this? Like. And then uh, even when even when they dragged her, uh, when the the guy took her to the guillotine and killed her, I was just like, okay, I guess I sort of understand why he killed her. I have no I have no understanding of why she allowed that to happen at all, except maybe that she's like, I mean, it's things I'm inferring based on the fact that okay, she's a nun, she came to kill her. Maybe she's like letting herself die because she failed. But it's just like there's nothing to guide you through that at all. Like you're just these are things you have to assume, I suppose. Mm. yeah and like uh like at the very end you know like they've like it you know the kids have like escaped with all like the fancy expensive furniture and whatever and then there's this another whole boat of nuns coming to the island yeah do you guys you guys remember what do you guys remember if anything happened to that uh suitcase with all of the uh important documents in it uh, I don't know, but it's I'm, like I'm guessing it all nothing. up. And then uh, Fyodor shows up at her door and then carts her off to lob her head off. But, oh, right. When, oh, you mean like, yeah, she has all the bonds and everything. Yes. right? Yeah yeah. 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 I don't have any idea. I, I'm guessing yeah. nothing happens with that because we don't we don't catch. The well, they, they, they make a they make a really big point of the narration of saying that the real money is the books that he collected. <laughs> Yeah, but I yeah. don't know that they like I don't know that they were looking for the money so much as they were looking for the proof of connections. Well, they, right? the, like that's when they, they when they cut to the Catholic uh the priest and the other the mother superior telling her what to do, they say to take money. They're mm, like whatever okay. you can grab for us, they like, grab it. Something to yeah. that effect. Yeah, anything signed by important people. And well, that, that's like the else. evidence thing. But they, they, she said they said something about like money. Like they were like, oh yeah, it's like, money. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like so. account numbers and stuff. Right. But then of yeah. course, you know, the kids ran off with all the, the trinkets and stuff of moderate value and, or stature and uh and El Conde make off with all of the like priceless books and My artifacts and first edition. Like <laughs> Yeah, of course he's got it. Um, it's like that's what that's another thought I had when when they said he had the first edition of Mein Kampf. I was like, okay, now imagine somebody made this movie and Hitler was a vampire and it was a comedy. It's like, would that fly? I don't think so. So it's like, you know, it's a little. It's just like, I don't know. That the whole thing just seems like an exercise in in poor taste, in my opinion. But that's just, I mean, it's just how I feel. I don't know. Yeah, um, mm. yeah, and. Um, 
I, I just I worry that I'm missing something by by not knowing the full story here. But I, I do think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The movie should work better on its own terms. I agree. If mm. I don't know. That's the what I mean. If it was if it was if it wasn't Pinochet, if it was a, a, a facsimile of Pinochet, a fictional facsimile, then you have leeway to say, OK, well, now the audience doesn't have to know doesn't have to read the Wikipedia page of Augusto Pinochet to understand what's happening here, which is what I, I had to do. Cause I was like, I, I didn't make sure. Like I see it. Like how bad was this guy? I don't know. They, like you're not telling me a lot in this movie. You know, they're saying he murdered people. They're saying he stole money, but it's like, then you read about the shit he actually did. It's fucked up. So it's like, mm. you know, and it's real life shit that happened to real life people. You know, it's not, uh, it's not a vampire movie. I don't know, but yeah. it's the same situation as like when you watch Django Unchained, you know, and you say like, Okay, it's like an entertaining movie, and it's really well written and well made and well acted. But it's like it's also it's sort of exploiting the period of slavery and like turning it into like a an action movie. I mean, it's just kind of like a bad it's like bad taste. That's all, you know. Yeah, and it. Yeah, I I, I guess I don't want to say this as a way to defend Quentin Tarantino, but it's probably gonna sound that way. Maybe it is. I don't know. I don't dislike that movie, but you know he's definitely riffing on whole era of B movies that were sure. exploiting that. And that's, mm. it's not, um, I guess it's just like the big one. It's not you, good. You point just, to because it's, uh, those, those other movies that came before it. Well, like for instance, those, these, the, the, the black exploitation films, I mean, a lot of them are coming from black filmmakers. So like that, that, mm. that changes things a little yeah. bit, you know, but shit like Mandingo was not sure. Mandingo right. is not. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's a good. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's in poor taste also. You know, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I but I, I will say I thought it was entertaining enough. You know, it was it looked nice. I think Pablo Lorraine is a good director. Oh, sorry, um, I, th- I thought you were talking about Django no, no. Chain for a minute there. Oh, no, Mandingo. <laughs> Mandingo looks nice. Shot well. No. Uh, no, El Conde, you know, it's a good-looking movie, for especially for a Netflix thing. I mean, it looks pretty nice. And uh, mm. I, I will say there's one thing I totally did not understand, and I thought they were going to mention it, and they didn't. I thought they were going to, like, refer to it. And it's when they had the first dinner scene where they're all around the table. There's, like, a bag hanging from the chandelier. Did you guys notice this? No. It's like a big Ziploc, like a gallon Ziploc bag filled with some kind of dark. I thought it was like blood, and I'm like, I don't know why, but like, why? I don't, you know, nice. it's just hanging from the chandelier during the entire scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to see it because everything's a black and white and grayscale. You know, it's like hard to tell like what you're yeah. looking at exactly, but mm. it's uh, it's there. I don't, I didn't, I did not get it. <laughs> do you think? Uh, do you think Fyodor the Butler flew with his own? blender stash somewhere that's do you think a, the ship had a blender point. what are we talking about when you know with fielders hunting that first yeah. sequence of every uh, all three places he stops he blends up the heart oh i was like so wait this like morgue had a heart and this house had a heart that uh, had uh, morgue had a blender <laughs> house had a blender that's believable but then like the ship had a blender like, what's going on? That's interesting. I actually hadn't considered that. A lot of a lot of blenders mm-hmm. used in Chile. Apparently, he hadn't stolen those. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you guys think of uh, the acting throughout? Uh, I thought uh, it was all fine. Ex- you know, just that the again, it's like it's like judging the acting in a 
in a Boonwell film. It's like the mm. or in like not in like a late Boonwell film where it gets really surreal. You know, it's like it's hard to like say it's good or bad. It's just like it's not about that. It's like about whatever tone he's trying to achieve, which again I think is super muddled, and I, I think even Lauren yeah. doesn't really know what he's trying to do <laughs> in this Maybe. one. There's, but there's definitely a there's like a consistent deadpan mm-hmm. and underplaying, but I, I do think. Again, those conversations with uh, the nun as inheritance accountant are, um, yeah, they, they take on that different tone where she is being uh, very blunt and everyone's just ignoring it. And yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, they're like it's they're fine. Like I I can't judge um, Carmen who is played by someone uh, I've seen her before in another. Hollow Rain movie. Yeah, she looked familiar. Uh, damn it. There we go. Uh, Paula Luxinger. Or Lu- very Luxinger? striking. Very striking yeah. uh, profile. Mm. Strange looking. She's in Pablo Rain's uh, Emma, which is a very small movie of his, but um, and that was not great. But uh, it's like I don't know if she's good because what she is asked to do is. Exactly. It uh, doesn't make any sense. Right. And, uh, <laughs> like she doesn't like maintain a consistency of tone or anything because the character doesn't. And yeah, I just, and I just still don't really know in what way she makes any sense as a character. So, uh, <laughs> Paula is just there being weird. Mm. Flying. I liked when she flew great. Yeah. She's great at being bad at flying. Yeah. <laughs> she looked good in the, uh, Mary Antoinette outfit. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, I got I'm out of notes. We're just gonna let that sit there, yeah. yeah. I uh apparently oh. Stella Stella Gonnet or Ganet, uh who played Margaret Thatcher was also the queen in Spencer. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Which um I liked I liked Spencer. I like Spencer. I, I know also. not everyone did. Not I like Spencer and I liked I like Jackie. I think less people like Jackie, but I thought I thought they were both fine. I just uh this one didn't work as well for me. I'm going to give it a two and a half. All right. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go two. I think I'm mad that I picked it. So it's getting a, a little bit of a chop there. Wow. Uh, I've, I'm going three. Uh, for all the weirdness and insanity that's going on in this thing, I mm-hmm. did think it was entertaining and I thought it, it was is entertaining. Dumb, so, I don't have any um, problem with like I, it wasn't hard to sit through or anything. It was just yeah, had a lot of yeah. issues I mean, with it. I, don't know. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed also the um the like I don't know if um this if you got the vampire lore from anywhere else, but I thought it was unique to you know not just the blood but the hearts and then the vampire hearts as well and uh. Like in uh, Octavia Butler's book, uh, Fledgling, it deals with vampires, and they also do like a similar thing where like all these vampire families, like they, you know, they've been around for a gajillion years, so they have all this money and they like build like little communities unto themselves, like uh, El Conde did with the island. So I thought that was unique. Cool. Um,. All right, well, let's move on. Oh, we got to do our uh, roulette. Well, we haven't, we haven't decided how we're going to do roulette. Oh, yeah. 
I don't know. You want to do trivia? <laughs> yeah, we do can. It. Yeah, do trivia. Um, I don't. Let me look oh. up some movie trivia real quick. We could quick. do. I'm doing box office game right now, and I just got the uh, the first one in in one. 200 re- points, baby. I really don't want to do box office game. I made 200 points total for box office game today. So, all right, here we go. You ready? Uh, we're gonna do some trivia. Okay, for what movie did Tom Hanks score his first Academy Award nomination? Oh, um, Big. Big is right. Damn, dude. <laughs> I have no idea how this is gonna work. So Kevin's I wouldn't have guessed it. Kevin gets one. Kevin gets one. Okay, that's fair. Um, so, uh, I don't know. First three. Uh... <laughs> sure, and then and then I'll play the winner. Okay. <laughs> that makes no <laughs> sense at all, but whatever. Hang on. Who played juror number eight in Twelve Angry Men? Ah, shit. E.G. Marshall. Ah. <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks. And Twelve Angry Men. <laughs> Just, I have no idea. Henry Fonda, you stupid fucks. <laughs> oh, that would have been a good guess, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the star of the movie. How about this one? In in what 1976 thriller does Robert De Niro say, you talking to me? I think that's a... Uh, mean Street. Taxi, taxi driver. Yeah, it's um, taxi yeah. <laughs> Also starring Jimmy Fallon. These are dumb. <laughs> Dumb questions, dude. Uh, Sorry, guys. All right, we're one to one. All right, one. To, let me look up some harder movie trivia. All right. What was the first movie to use profanity? What's their definition of profanity? Midnight Cowboy. A bad word. Well, what was their definition of bad words? You know, across time. You know, like is well, it the first instance of shit? That's, is that's the, first the question? Is that if it? If it's early enough, then it could be something quite tame by our standards. Right, yeah. It could be, you know, gall darn it. And, you know, people are... <gasps> it's not gold darn it. <laughs> <laughs> was, was my guess wrong? Yes. Okay. Your guess was off by about 30 years. Is <laughs> it <laughs> uh, Casablanca? No. Kevin? Force? It's... Gone with the wind. <laughs> it's so obvious. I don't give a damn. That's a that's a curse. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. All right, all right. Uh, let's see. Oh, in the Matrix. It? In the Matrix, does Neo take the blue pill or the red pill? That's a good one. The red pill. Blue pill. Kevin's got it. Okay. <laughs> Jr. is out. <laughs> Right, I was I'm trying gonna, to like I know yeah. you know like conservative internet's like you're always getting something pilled. It's like which one's yeah, which? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I just I just remember I remember Joey Pants. Why oh why didn't I take the blue pill? Oh right, that's good. That's a good way to remember. Kevin, uh, Jr., you're gonna need to uh, facilitate now. Great. I typed in um, impossible movie trivia. Okay, oh, good. <laughs> All the results are about the movie The Impossible, and so I think. That's oh. Perfect. <laughs> the uh, all right. So. Why was, the, why was the Bennett family visiting Thailand in the movie The Impossible? Are they vacationing? Was it for summer <laughs> vacation, spring vacation, Christmas vacation, or they want to live there? Christmas vacation. There? Kevin? They want to live there? Christmas vacation is right. Um, uh, boom! Let's go. 
<laughs> I've never even seen that fucking movie. I haven't either. either. Why would any of us have seen this? Uh, all right. Who was the director of the film? I'm not going to give you choices because these choices oh, are stupid. Fuck, of The Impossible? Yep. I have It is a pretty well-known director. No, I, yeah, I know it is. Um, Gus Van Zandt. It's a, it's a, it's a foreigner, right? He's not American. Correct. Uh, uh, we're not going to count Kevin's guess. Should I give the first letter of the last name? Sure. As in, as in Kevin still guess, right? Sure. Gus Van Zandt. Uh, first letter of the last name starts with a B. I'm gonna feel so dumb when I when you tell me what this is. I feel like I know it, and I, oh my god, it's not like it's not like Jan de Bont or something, is it? <laughs> it is not. Okay. Uh, uh, directed a movie about an orphanage. <laughs> that doesn't help. <laughs> a horror movie about an orphanage. I think, so. but yeah, I might be. I never saw the movie. I might be misspeaking on like that, that movie, Orphan. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think he directed oh. Orphan. I don't know. I give up. Right. It's, uh, it's J.A. Bayona. Oh, Bayona. Yeah, that fucking uh, jobber. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when was the movie released? What year? 2009. Uh, closest, uh, I was going to say closest person wins. Okay, 2009. Uh, 2007. All right. Uh, I think John wins because it's 2012. Yes. And, uh, yes. and that's... And John's got two, two out of three. Man, John wins. All right, cool. See now, if this if this had been trivia about the Impossibles, uh, I would have yeah. mopped the floor with him. <laughs> Sorry, it's just it's. I knew no one has seen this movie, and it's uh, it's, it's just good. Right, it was the right it's, thing to do. It's fair. Sure, sure, sure. We should we should have done uh that for both for both uh games, you know. Mm. Oh my god! Am I the only one who, who's got homework, or how does that? Uh, I what I I lost lost. Yeah, she, uh, he lost the first one. All right, the movie is Chicken Run. <laughs> have I seen nice. it before? You have. You gave it three stars. <laughs> Are you in to watch it again, or you want to pick something else? Why not, man? Let's watch it. All right, it's directed sure. by Nick Park and Peter Lord. Two thousand. Said he'd give me his Disney Plus password again. I gotta watch Loki anyway. Let's do it. This isn't on Disney Plus. What? No, not according to Letterbox. It's on uh, Peacock to stream. Well, he's he's fine then. Yeah, you got Peacock, right? You love I that know. shit. All I right. Mean, I told you guys that my my thing lapsed. Anyway, oh. I'll, I'll get it. I'll get oh. it. You'll get it's it back fun. though. I've been it's wanting it back. A, probably a new season of that Columbo show coming out with what's her face in it. I think Ryan Johnson and uh, and what's her face. Natasha uh, Leon. will probably take uh, some time. They're busy. Uh, all right. Who wants to begin with what we watched? Well, let's, uh, let's start with a uh, previous homework. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Um, damn. Did no. you finish the movie, Kevin? I did. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We, uh, Kevin and I watched, uh, Notre Musique, uh, a Jean-Luc Godard film from 2004, which, uh, sort of right smack dab in the middle of a period in which he was making very non-traditional films. And uh, I wouldn't say this is like a basic and normal film. And it starts with something that's pretty avant-garde, I guess, in the sense that it's like all montage, no narrative. But then it uh, kind of in its middle section, which is the majority of the movie, slips into uh, a more traditional narrative. 
Uh, and this is about um, war and how we suck at civilization and being people. Or at least that's how I take it. Kevin, mm-hmm. what'd you think? I, I had seen this before. What'd you think of it? I thought it was. I thought it was fine. Um, nothing. Well, I don't. Nothing, good. Well, I don't. Not, nothing really pulled me one way or another about it. So, gave it a three. Yeah, I. Um, I don't know. I I like it, and um, I felt like they're you know in. We've said this hour in the center of the film. That's it's very heavy on dialogue, and, and Jean-Luc Godard shows up as himself. He's like at this uh, conference or um, or festival, maybe I, I can't remember. Uh, but he's yes. talking to to people who have a lot of opinions on uh, the conflict between Israel and Palestine, and uh, I think those conversations lead to to some interesting places. And like I, I wrote down just like one quote, uh, like does a land that has great poets have the right to conquer people? And uh, just like that section of conversation, uh, I thought was really um, powerfully written. And uh, this main uh, this girl that uh, is involved in these uh, in these conversations ends up committing an act of protest that uh, that gets her killed. We learn through a phone call. And the third section of the movie is uh is like is paradise. Like the beginning montage is just showing conflict and people charging toward. Uh, fighting and that's inferno the middle is purgatory the ends uh paradise and we see uh this person walking through paradise and uh there's i think it's dialogue free maybe not quite dialogue free but uh anyway we're basically following this girl walking in that section i thought was also uh visually striking and um is an interesting idea to show paradise still filled with like armed gunmen um I liked that a lot uh, because we'll never escape war and death. <laughs> we'll never escape war. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's weirdly timely because apparently like these last couple of days, the, um, the fighting between Israel and Palestine has ramped up significantly. Oh, yeah. yeah. So just horrible. Yes. Yeah. All right, so uh, this movie is a bummer. I think it's uh, pretty high quality and an interesting movie in his canon. Kevin thinks that it's a Jean-Luc Godard movie, which means it's a two to three. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it in years, but I remember liking it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But it was before I had seen a ton of his other stuff, so I don't know how it would fit now. But I actually wanted to watch it because it's really short. It's like 80 minutes long, but... Yeah, yeah. I didn't have, couldn't find the time. I had to play Cyberpunk, you know. Yeah, man. I mean, yes. More important. Keanu, Keanu was calling. Exactly. <laughs> Did you guys check out the new uh, new Dog Star album that came out yesterday? No. 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 <laughs> Dog Star. It's uh, it's Keanu's band for any of those yeah. out there who uh, who aren't the real Reeves Reeves rockers, you know. I was listening to um the. Uh, X series XM on the way to New Orleans yesterday, and they and on the Lithium channel, which is like the grunge alternative channel, they were interviewing the whole band, and I was like, what a like what an awkward situation if you're the other two guys in that band. Like, yeah. they have, what are they gonna say? Like, it's all about Keanu, you know? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got to pretend like it's not, you know, like they're equal members of this group, and if like anybody's going to see them for their music. Mm. Do you think uh, Michael C. Hall's band also put out an album yesterday? Do you think God. 
the fans of that band go for the music? Like, does he have people that are like Michael C. Hall's in town? Yeah, they're obsessed with Michael C. Hall. He's Dexter, dude. They fucking love that shit. It's all like fucking middle-aged housewives. Dexter sucks. (laughs) Dexter's the worst show (laughs) maybe that's ever been made. But still, yeah, that's what they love about it. And it's like uh, like when Jeremy Renner tours, you know, before he got crushed (laughs) by a snowplow. I'm sure that... uh, the people who are going to see him are just, you know, women who have crushes on him and Avengers fans. Yeah, I I feel like he's got a bigger profile than Michael C. Hall, though, right? Sure. Yeah. Well, now, well, yeah, right now, I guess. You, you think know. there are, like, a lot of gamer heads out there? No, Michael C. Hall, Taylor. Dexter was no, a huge I'm trying, show. I'm trying to give him more fans than just Dexter. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, th- that's trying all to find it them. It's Dexter and before that, Six Feet Under. That's it. It's those two shows. Yeah. He was so annoying on that show. What on Six Feet Under? Yeah, I only watched. Oh, the I mean, all the all the characters were annoying on that show. That's kind of part of it. Yeah, I mean, especially like from the like third season on, it's like, oh god, fuck all of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it's miserable people being miserable to each other. It's that was yeah. the point. Yeah. All right, let's get into what we watched. Who wants to begin? Uh, I can go first. Uh, so I finally got around to watching Oppenheimer. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I have to say, for me personally, and I'm sure, you know, Christopher Nolan will like throw his brow if he ever if he hears this. Seeing it in the theater was a huge detractor for this Ooh, movie. Yikes. <laughs> like you have to see it on the biggest screen possible. <laughs> no, you don't. Like, okay, okay, yes. So, obviously, you know, seeing it on the big screen, seeing it with a, you know, fabulous sound system, you you really feel it. You really see it. You know, you experience it. Blah, 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 blah. But because of that, it also is rattling your nerves so bad mm-hmm. that whatever whatever, like, actual drama is going on in the film with the characters is so secondary. Like, and especially towards like the, the beginning where, you know, you're just seeing a lot of like random lights flash across the screen. You know, it's supposed to be like physics and whatever. It's like, all right, we get it. You know, like, (laughs) and yeah. So like that, that, Un, that deeply unpleasant experience of being rattled and having my brain, you know, slapping against the inside of my skull by, you know, having to experience atom blast after atom bomb blast, you know, that really like took away from the movie for me. And secondary to that, the other biggest detractor was all of the Nolanisms, which, you know, Nolan has this reputation for whatever reason for being, you know, like the thinking man's director and, you know, like dealing with like deep concepts and all of this other stuff. But it's like that still doesn't stop him from using the most blatant. This is foreshadowing like, you know, he's he's in a room. He's having sex with Florence Pugh and. She just happens to pick up the Bhav- the Bhavagad Gita 
and he just happens to read I am become death the destroyer of worlds give me a fucking break like oh and then you know like three hours later he says it again when he's realized he doesn't say oh no No, 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 no. Okay, I, you're going to force me to defend Nolan's writing here. The, the, Go ahead. The, the part, okay, for, okay, I have issues with the way that that happens as well uh, during the sex scene, but only, I think that only uh, comes about because you know, if you're, and if you know anything about Oppenheimer, you know that he thought those words whenever uh the the bomb hit you know he's that famous interview where he says he did mm. um and if you didn't know that i think it would be it would it would work way better and and i think that because that setup i don't like that setup but the what it delivers during that moment when he it he thinks it again but he's he's not thinking it he's remembering that moment because it's literally the same dialogue like it's the, the recording of him saying it in bed Sure. And it's and uh, I really liked that a lot. I like I mean, I think the bomb sequence, the initial blast sequence is the sequence of the film. I think it's fantastic. And uh, that that's a great capper to it, in my opinion. But each his own. I get it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not uh, a, I'm not a I agree with what you said about Nolan. He is he is I'm considered good. a thinking man's director and he certainly is not. So you're fucking you're fucking pilled, man. You're converted. <laughs> Church of Nolan, you're a Nolanist. I am not at all. I like two of his movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think Oppenheimer would go down on a rewatch for me if anything, but I, I did enjoy, did enjoy watching it. Yeah, he didn't I go mean, see Peppa Pig last night. He went to like a repertory <laughs> screening of Memento. <laughs> Following. Uh, I was gonna say the space one, but, uh, Interstellar. I would never uh, watch Interstellar. No, which, Kevin, uh, the way you felt about like the theater, like rattling experience, is definitely how I felt about Interstellar, and one of the reasons I, one of the many reasons I fucking hated that movie when I saw it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, because it's like you know, that movie too is like just these like blatant like. You know, like especially that that sequence where like Matt Damon's like trying to get off the planet and he's just blatantly ignoring every single safety feature that is supposed to go in a certain sequence for, you know, shit to not fall apart in the vacuum of space. It's just like you spend all this time, you know, trying to make this as believable as possible and then you want us to just accept you know these yeah. these these ridiculous things. Yeah, I mean Nolan definitely he like he doesn't know doesn't know how he in my opinion is not very great not great at um at how he makes things tidy. He wants everything to be chopped up and chaotic, but then for things mm. to just come together so cleanly. And uh, you just y'all I always see the seams. And uh, I yeah. I definitely agree more with John on the you know, I be, become death and, and how that plays out. But yeah, I, I also agree that like, he just, he can't make, he can't make it feel natural. Yeah. Uh, I, I he probably I doesn't agree with that. I it's don't hard. think he cares. You have, to, you have to imagine also, like, think about the, like, you can't not 
confront that moment because it's it's mm. the moment everybody knows about Oppenheimer. If to leave yeah. it out would be strange. So then it's like, okay, he has to think about how am I going to do this? Like, am I just going to have him do voiceover in this moment? And then it's like out of nowhere. It means it's like, well, why? Like, how do we know he knows about the Bhagavad Gita? It's like you have to introduce it in some way. And I agree. I think the way he introduces it is a little bit clumsy. But it's like mm. you have to you have to confront it. So it's you like know it'll make people remember yeah. this moment, boobs. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. But um but I will I will say, you know, like lean going, you know, to the positives here, I have to say that like every I, I can't think of I can't think of an instance where I was like really thinking this actor is not doing a good job. Like I feel like Every single person who's on screen for any length of time is really doing a great job. And, you know, obviously people will talk about Killian Murphy because, you know, he has a history with Nolan and he's the lead character. But like uh, Casey Affleck for his, you know, like all of two minutes that he's in the movie is fantastic. Like that's that's a character that I wanted to know more about. Like and, you know. Matt Damon, as much as Damon is obviously, you know, the audience's hand holder throughout the film, I still think he does a great job. Like, you know, he understood the assignment, as the kids say. And, you know, like, um, Safdie, Benny Safdie, like the most underrated actor of his generation. Like, you know. <laughs> And Josh Hartnett is fucking great. Like yeah, he's good everybody's it, yeah. fucking great in this movie. Right. Like hey. you know, like like you know Robert Downey Jr. turning in like the best performance he's probably put in since Zodiac. Everyone say thank you to Guy Ritchie. <laughs> Guy Ritchie has brought Josh Hartnett back, and he has worked very hard to make this happen. Did Josh Hartnett ever leave though? I mean, he had Black Dahlia, and then he did Lucky Number Slevin. Like this guy's not going anywhere. What? <laughs> this movies were almost 20 years ago I know, just yeah. um, uh, yeah. you know, to go back to uh Casey Affleck just for just a second here um i like that we are now in a world where casey affleck is a big enough deal that he uh he doesn't just show up he is revealed we see the back of his head we hear his voice <laughs> it's obviously casey affleck because no one else in the world fucking sounds like casey affleck but there's a very intentional reveal of who this actor is uh and i thought that was both uh, stupid and glorious yeah i just realized too it's a uh, it's a jerry reunion because that's and right casey yeah. affleck are in this. <laughs> nolan's a big jerry head he loves uh <laughs> bellatar fan and gus van sant fan that's right yeah <laughs> So All yeah, right. uh, yeah, three and a half for Oppenheimer. I mean, I don't know. It could it could go to a four if I you know watched it on a you know smaller screen you know with with reasonable volume. But probably um, probably still in your top ten for this year though, right? Because uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, me too. Me too. Um. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna go next because. Uh, I feel like you guys have been talking about movies for like 30 minutes now. So, um, <laughs> you, you were invited to the, uh, to the Oppenheimer conversation. I know. I, uh, I watched talk to me, the horror film 
from this year, the Australian horror film directed by Mc- Michael Philippou and Danny Philippou. I don't know if you're if I'm saying that right. Philippou, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is the you know the breakout uh, indie Australian horror fest about a, a group of uh, Zoomers, Zoomers, right? Gen Z, the uh, yeah. TikTokers who love to you know just use this hand <laughs> this like hand statue that's got like graffiti writing all over it which i never really explain like what it is or where it comes from and it's like when people grab it and say the words talk to me like they go into like a trance and then they get possessed by uh dead spirits cool and it happens for like a minute and they video it and they put it on social media you know and everybody thinks it's like fake you know uh, until they actually do it. And then, of course, they go way too far and uh, it becomes a big problem and people get hurt. And uh, I thought it was quite good, actually, like uh, effective and scary in its way. I mean, you know, uh, what movies are actually scary, you know what I mean? But it was p- kind of disturbing at points. And um, I thought the lead, Sophie Wilde, uh, this young lady with the super far set of set eyes like her eyes like way far apart but like that's <laughs> part of her that's like part of her look i mean look at her she's wild looking i mean yeah, she looks she's, she's attractive looking, but she's just she's just like yeah she's like a wild look i don't know mm. like a wild look in her eyes you know um but she's quite good in this and uh all the acting is solid but she's obviously like the star of the film so she's really good and uh i just thought it, where where it goes is just like really smart smartly written um it's not like a you know like there's a lot of shit horror that gets made like maybe more than any other maybe comedy might have it beat but like horror is garbage like 90 percent of the time and uh this is one of those i think one of those sort of rare elevated actually elevated horror films unlike you know so you know something james wan would direct or some shit you know so you know, <laughs> like the nun Calm two down. is out right now. Right. And it's like, uh, <laughs> James one didn't direct it. Well, whatever I'm saying, it's part of his universe. So James uh, one directed Aquaman two. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's not better. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. So talk to me was pretty fun. I recommend it. Yeah. This is, I believe this is a two four, right? Did you say it, it was a two four? Yeah. I did not say so that, this, but it is. This will, this will show up on the, uh, on the Showtime streaming service, hopefully soon. Bingo. Um, I how many minutes until a zoomer takes the hand and mimes masturbation with it? Uh, I don't believe that happens at all, but I could be I, wrong. That is insane. <laughs> it's insane that that does not happen. The, I will say that the the opening of this film, uh, when it like there's an opening scene sort of like a cold open uh, scream type thing. And I was not a fan of that. And I thought this was going to be like, just another sort of goofy slasher, stupid movie, but it, uh, it gets away from that pretty quick and becomes something that's pretty interesting and unique, uh, among a very cliche genre. So yeah, that's talk to me. JR. Cool. Um, John and I at the end of last episode, and actually maybe it might have been off off mic, uh, post production, mm-hmm. um, we were yelling at each other about uh, at different movies, and 
uh, he was making fun of Ida Berry and um, you know, just talking about how he wasn't going to watch theater camp because he can't stand this one actor who's in the bear. And uh, I so like I decided to log off of that uh, phone call in or in the Zoom call in anger. Um, I I rage I rage hang up and I rage watched theater camp. Um, and I found it to be delightful. It was very funny. And uh, Theater Camp is on Hulu, and it's directed or co-directed, um, co-written by and starring Molly Gordon, who is also um, also was a part in The Bear, and is like part of this group of people that includes uh, more famous people than her, like Ben Platt. Um, just, just like a yeah, and and these people are all in this movie, and. Um, it's a bunch of counselors at camp. It's a theater camp. Um, Amy Sedaris is like the the leader, the founder of this camp, and she goes into a coma, and her son takes over, and he's dumb. And uh, <laughs> it's you know like the camp is running out of money, and someone like the rich camp across the lake is like trying to buy it for the property. Blah blah blah. Like all the basic just like camp shit. Um. But, you know, the instructors are funny and the kids are funny and um, some of like the just contrived necessary plot mechanics uh, provide some laughs and um, the climactic staging of the musical is uh, is just it's it's wonderful. It's glorious. Uh, I was crying. I wasn't actually crying, but I thought if I were a different person, a little bit younger, maybe I'd be crying right now. Really? Um, and it's, it's just, it's both really funny and like, you know, it's emotional and, um, yeah, Harvard. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, it's, it like, this is just a really enjoyable movie and I know I'm going to be watching it again because, uh, uh, my wife is mad at me because apparently I was supposed to watch this with her and I was like, how would I ever know that you even knew what this movie was? She was like, it's on my list. I love Ben Platt. Um, it's like, all right. What? Ben, ben, Platt, Platt. ben Platt. He's a theater. Who the fuck is Ben Platt? He's a theater star. He's like, uh, originated the role of like, uh, Dear Evan Hansen, which I know became a, a oh. bad movie, but is like a super claimed yeah. singer, uh, super claimed, uh, Whatever. She book? and my sister love musicals, and, um, and he's a big book, musical though? guy. Is it? Maybe. I don't know. I thought it was a book. Anyway, it probably is. I, I uh, turned this movie on and watched the first ten minutes or so, and I had to bail. It's brutal. I, I couldn't do it, man. It's not for me. Yeah, because you don't uh, think things are funny that are funny. It's like that. Uh, it's like the new Sufjan Stevens record that came out today, which is like getting like universal acclaim. It's oh my god, it's so amazing. And I listened to it, and I was just like, this, I get it. I understand why people like this. This is not for me. Which uh, which Sufjan <laughs> sound do we have here? I, I I think all three of us collectively side. Um, I I'm so like not into a bunch of what he does. You know, mm-hmm. and like I don't know, I saw him at like the House of Blues in 2008. You know, sort of oh, in wow. like that that Chicago. I would have liked not, to have seen that <laughs> Illinois era. <laughs> yeah, and like that was cool, and he was cool, but I just yeah. I have not liked much since. And but my, like the Carrie and Lowell album, like yeah, that's another one where like I get why people like that. Yeah, but I uh, get pretty bored when I listen to it, and I yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of that either. I'm just I'm worried that I'll be bored listening to this one. You will. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's really overproduced and there's way too much reverb on everything and the songs are like boring and the chords are or the chord progressions aren't interesting at all i don't know it's just like it's just such like <laughs> not a and his voice is like it's so quiet and soft it drives me insane you know it's mm. just like you can you know you can uh emote a little bit you don't have to be you know it's <laughs> <laughs> like non-stop for like fucking 50 minutes you know oh man uh, but anyway, uh, Kevin, continuing well, on. Well, I, I should just point out real quick, like, I have no, like, I know the name. I always thought it was Suff Jan Stevens, but, uh, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I, ha- I have no, I have no idea what this person sounds like. I, I couldn't name a song or, or any of their albums. Well, it's, he sounds like a lot of things, uh, you know, well, depending on what you listen to. There's depending on which rock, record it is. Yeah. There's oh, acoustic okay. stuff. He, he's done a lot of electronic um stuff yeah you know, he's all over the place uh yeah. it just doesn't usually work for me okay um well so i got finally got around to watching soul the pixar movie from 2020 with uh jamie fox and tina fey and music by trent Reznor, atticus ross and john batiste and i enjoyed it quite a lot like I really liked the, the meta kind of stuff, and I was very happy that there's like almost like I don't think there's any mention of um, God or religion in the entire movie, which I was super happy about. I was glad that they were able to address these things like pre-existence and what they call in the movie the Great Beyond without having to. Res- without having to resort oh. back to religion of any kind. Just uh, um, congratulating also, woke, woke Disney, huh? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, uh, yeah. And also, you know, the first, uh, Disney, um, well, maybe the first Pixar with, uh, a black lead. Um, anyway, yes. So the movie is very good. The music is very, very good. The jazz and the like ethereal, you know, kind of stuff that Reznor and Ross are doing. So I would definitely, definitely recommend it for anyone who, you know, wants to wants to watch a good movie or, you know, wants to, you know, broach those sorts of ideas with their children, which, you know, can Mm. which can crop up, you know, because like we we make we make a cons- uh, an effort to um, teach our kids that like you know religion is not something that we believe in so y'all don't have to believe in it um, you know and there are different people with different beliefs and we can respect those while you know being respectful so yeah. Good call. Um, all right. I uh, also watched a movie that I liked a lot called Stand and Deliver from 1988, directed by Ramon Menendez, who only directed three films, but I have to actually have seen one of them, uh, Money for Nothing, uh, the John Cusack movie where he finds money. Anyway, uh, this movie is about a teacher. It's like a true story about Jaime Escalante, who's a math teacher in uh, East Los Angeles, which is predominantly Hispanic. And he is from Bolivia, and he 
decides that uh, he gets into this school. He starts teaching. And it's your pretty classic uh, teacher movie. You know, the great dedicated teacher in the heart of darkness, you know, teaching bad kids, gang leader kids, uh, wayward children. And uh, but he's so dedicated that he, you know, is going to push through. Uh, and then he decides to teach them calculus and, you know, he teaches them really well and they do really well and everybody thinks they cheated. So that's what the movie is about. Um, but the, the thing that sets it apart, I would say most of those teacher movies are hot garbage. The fucking worst. Um, yeah. It's the worst. <laughs> it is not good. Uh, but this one is, I, th- I think, okay, this one is not garbage. It's very, very good. Very watchable. Very like um, I don't know what to say about it. It's like it's not saccharine. Like it has like these sort of um, you know heart like touching moments that you would see in some of these other movies, and that that I don't know if they don't wouldn't work in the other movies, but in this one, Edward James Olmos, who plays Jaime Escalante, is so good as Escalante and so charismatic and likable as a character. That it is like he carries the his back must have been killing him. He's carrying this whole fucking movie. It's amazing, and it reminds me of uh, Lean on Me, the the movie with uh, Morgan Freeman where he's the principal who comes in. And I actually caught a scene of it on TikTok the other day. That movie is not good, and uh, it's an example of one of the bad one of these movies, in my opinion. And uh, and I, I after watching rewatching this scene, I understand why. Like Morgan Freeman is literally the worst in that movie. Like you hate his guts the whole movie. Like he's the most unlikable person. He's screaming at everybody. He's screaming at the kids. Screaming at the teachers. He's telling them they suck. It's like it's the worst. And Escalante in this film, this character is so chilled out. Like he's got you can't get a rise out of him. And they're trying really hard, and he's just like quiet and reserved, and he's funny, and he, the way he teaches them is great. And he's like, but he's also like subtly, like he'll threaten them a little bit every now and then, like if they're getting like, uh, like they're, you know, they, he's got like gang members in his class, and he'll just like whisper weird threats to them. And shit, it's it's a bizarre dynamic that he creates in his classroom and in, in some of these scenes, but it seems to work. And I just every the the whole time I'm watching, I just kept thinking like how I would react in situations that he was in. Like, okay, if a kid came in and said that to me, like, what would I do about it? And, uh, it was never what Escalante did and what Escalante (laughs) did always worked. So (laughs) I have to, I have to ask myself, maybe I should be teaching like him, but anyways, it was, uh, it was quite good. And, uh, I mean, you know, I don't know how other teachers will feel about it, Jr. But I really, really liked it, and especially comparing it to other films of this ilk. And Edward, and also I should say also that it it immediately started me off on an Edward James almost kick, and I watched uh, two other films that he was in, which were American, American Me, American Me, and Triumph of the Spirit. American Me is not great it's like okay it's like a hispanic goodfellas type thing um like uh but it's like it's <laughs> william forsyth in it so he's like fucking terrible in it like he plays mm. he doesn't play hispanic he plays a real life character who apparently was white but was like taken in by the hispanics and like 
accepted as one of, but he's like got this goofy Hispanic accent that he's doing the whole movie. And I don't know. I like William Forsythe and some stuff, but it just doesn't work in this one. And almost as feels he's, he like directed this and he cast himself in the lead and it just feels like he's miscast. Maybe um, that's not great. And then triumph of the spirit is a Holocaust drama that he just happened to be in. I didn't even realize he was in it when I started it, but um, it's about Willem Dafoe going into a concentration camp, actually the concentration camp at Auschwitz and um, death camp, I should say, and uh, having to box for the pleasure of the, uh, the SS there. And I will say that the only thing I would say about Triumph of the Spirit, it's, it's good. It's very depressing, like more than your average Holocaust movie, I'd say. And, uh, Willem Dafoe is like fine in it. The real, the real hero of this movie though, acting wise, almost is great. He's really, really good. And Robert Loja as Dafoe's father has to do some crazy emoting in this crying and shit. And it's really good. He's good. So, yeah, I would recommend uh, Triumph of the Spirit. I cannot say I would recommend American Me. Mm. But anyway, those are my almost movies that I watched. JR? Sorry, I I don't think I've heard of Triumph of the Spirit. Let's just look it up. It's Mm. it's the same director as um, fucking uh, Short Eyes and uh, uh, Ballad of Gregorio Cortez. Yeah. Robert Young and and uh, One Trick Pony, which ruled also. All right, all right. Um, I watched what's going to be your horror movie that um, like talk to me was uh, somewhat unique or did some unique things, but uh, those things did not always work. I watched uh, No One Will Save You, also on Hulu. Uh, did you guys see this? My brother I feel like did. it's I feel like it's been something of a deal. Like it's been pretty popular on on Hulu, and um, this is directed by Brian Duffield and uh, written by him as well. And uh, has more than just Caitlin Deaver, but is is that her name, Caitlin? Um, but is pretty much just her, Caitlin Deaver, uh, who is uh, one of the stars of Booksmart. So John probably hates her. No, she was, uh, she's in that, uh, Tim Allen show. That's what I know her from. She was a big part of the second season. I believe it was the second season of justified. Just brought her to my attention, but, um, yeah, she's, you know, she's like a kid actor who is now 20 something. And, uh, I think is, is pretty good. And she's pretty good in this. Uh, she has to carry a lot on her shoulders. And she is, um, you know, like in this small, you know, town in the woods. Um, looks like it's the northeast somewhere. She's like an outcast. And something has like gone wrong. And her mother has died. And someone else has died. And she is afraid of some people. Uh, just we see th- through her interactions in town, uh, avoiding people. Uh, she doesn't talk to anyone because um, if you guys have read anything about this movie at all, you probably have read or that seen the poster. Yeah, there is no dialogue. There's oh. no speaking. Is that right? Mm. I didn't know that. Uh, I no idea. It's like it is it is a bit. It's like a thing. Um, 
like so alien invasion that's what is on the poster um she's alone uh alien home invasion i guess and um you know she never like screams out like fuck when an alien's trying to kill her or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, completely silent. And when she's in town, she like ends up actually accidentally confronting this woman who hates her for some reason. And like they just stare at each other silently. And then something else happens that they don't speak. And that's when I was like, oh, like now you're forcing it. Like, yeah. Mm. How do they confront each other if they're not speaking? Like they literally like run like. They just Deaver stop tries, each other. Deaver tries to like walk into a police station to like tell the police what's going on. She survived an alien attack last night, rode her bike into town and uh, this woman's walking out. And so like they meet face to face and instead of do, speaking. Yeah. yeah. Just, do they have talking in the background, like crowd noise? At all? Um, we see people like this woman. We see her talking to a police chief Um we don't hear but, it like though. we don't hear yeah we don't hear it at all why like uh, why that like what what is it what benefit does it serve nothing it's just a bit like you said it's just a bit yeah that's mm. really stupid it's just a bit <laughs> <laughs> yes it it starts off okay but it, it becomes stupid yeah because it, it, it becomes clear that we are forcing something so that you have like you just have like this bit like you're trying to make your movie unique in this one way and it, Again, I think like what it does with the alien invasion plot is not typical. It's not super predictable, mm-hmm. and but it, it's still. I think that place where it goes is ultimately pretty dumb, and uh, yeah, just ultimately doesn't work. Even though uh, some people that I generally like uh, have enjoyed it a great deal, so you know maybe it'll be for you. But um, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm the most sympathetic toward shitty horror movies and i didn't like this one so maybe maybe avoid it i'm not i would never watch this <laughs> i can't imagine i mean if it was like you know 75 minutes or something i might watch it just to juice my list but it's <laughs> it's like it's less than 90 but yeah this is 90 it says 93 on letterbox i don't know yeah, are you watching you're watching all seven minutes of the credits there's <laughs> not there's no way there are seven minutes of credits in this movie you've lost I mean, your mind Maybe right, four, dude. No, because it's like it's, I don't know. It's the bunch the of CGI are pretty man. out of control these days. Credits are crazy. I'm gonna look right now. I'm gonna watch the ending of this movie right now and tell you how much right. credits there is. You know what? Anyways, I, said, uh, I said edit out the game, but don't edit out this. Okay. <laughs> Put on. <laughs> Just kidding. Kevin. Uh, you guys want to talk uh, Henry Sugar? Sure. Oh yeah, sure. JR, you watched that? I did, yeah. I logged it, I think. I hope. There's five minutes and 20 seconds of credits. All right, well. Fine. So we're in in the middle. (laughs) All right. Yeah, so so Wes Anderson had his second outing for 2023 with The Wonderful World of Henry Sugar, which is a 40-minute film based on some Roald Dahl stuff. And he also has a bunch of other uh, shorts that were also released on Netflix. But mm-hmm. I guess, did you guys, I know John didn't, but JR, did I you did watch not. any of the other ones? I did not get to those, even though they're all like 14, Seven, 15 minutes. They're se- 17, I think they're all 17. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. but yeah. Um, so the 
the premise is this fellow Henry Sugar is a you know real cad and not good person, and he gets this gets wind of this info of this dude who could see without using his eyes, and he basically practices trying to center his mind and eventually he's able to do it and he can cheat at gambling. And then he has a miraculous, uh, turn of character and becomes a good dude and starts, you know, giving away, you know, gajillions of dollars to, um, worthy causes. And, uh, the Mr. Sugar himself is played by Benedict Cumberbatch Ray Fiennes plays Raw Dahl, who's kind of narrating, and we've also got Ben Kingsley and Dev Patel, and just as as the resident uh, Wes Anderson dude here, I think I can say this is definitely like his most experimental and his probably his most obtuse. Like this is him like really challenging the viewer because the vast majority of Henry Sugar is someone telling in the movie as opposed to showing. And it just – and it goes the same way for the rest of the shorts. It's all tell and very, very little show. You're saying so you did watch the other shorts? Yeah, of course I did. You're saying they're um they're all like just the the actors are reading the story out loud or narrating the story out loud. Yes. And all the other ones as well. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um I am uh not a fan of Wes Anderson in general, uh especially, you know, post say 2001, I don't know. And uh <laughs> this is uh this is like I agree it's like this is not something it's, it, I don't know if I'd say it's a, experimental might be the wrong word. I think, I feel like it's just him at his most concentrated. Like there's so like, this is so, <laughs> this feels exactly like what he wants to do. Like this is so exactly, he would, I, I feel like he would love to make every one of his films, like two hour versions of this. And it's just like, this is this, this 40 minutes was exhausting for me. Um, and I don't like, I think that there are moments where it's trying to be, like funny in a very charming, lighthearted way, and it's like just isn't, uh, in my opinion. And it reminded me sort of of the the tone in El Conde when El Conde tries to be funny. Like it's just it's like you get you get where the humor is supposed to be, but it just doesn't hit at all. And uh, I think that's just the way Wes Anderson's movies are in general now. I don't think um, he's obviously not focused nearly as much on actually making his audiences laugh. He you know he's got um an aesthetic that he wants to create and it all is very uh again like lighthearted sort of there are dark moments of course and all of his stuff but i don't know yeah it just didn't work for me and uh you know it's just i he's not he's not his 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 style is just not not for me it's like that it's like that Sifion album it's just not for me <laughs> john would say eno enawa juan which means this guy, this is not my kind of guy. 
I have that on my soundboard at school. Yes. This, this yes, guy, yes. this is not my kind of guy. Yes. <laughs> I have that. JR, what do you think about this? Uh, I'm probably... I, I have similar feelings as you, but they're probably much less harsh. Uh, I don't really understand how you can like look at this and see this as like his style, like his ultimate thing. Uh, just like sure. He has lots of dialogue, but he doesn't have people narrating at you for two hours straight. Um, mm-hmm. This is very much like an exercise to me. And like, can I make backgrounds interesting enough to support just narrating at an audience for 40 minutes? Uh, I think ultimately the answer for me is no. Um, and, and I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot more substance in, in his movies when he actually, uh, you know, makes like a narrative. Uh, I, I mean, this is a narrative, but it's like, he's not even from what I've read, he's not even really adapting raw doll. He's just, he's just put the entire story into, into, into this movie. Like it's he says a, almost uh, every word. It's equivalent to um, like those TED Talk animated videos you watch that that like describe a uh, like describe a, a short story or a concept or something, and then like animated things going on in the background. But I, I agree with you. I don't. I don't. I was when I say that it's like concentrated Wes Anderson. I just mean like every shot is like people, you know. It's everything is so fucking staged, and I, you know, it's just like, and I know that's yeah. like his thing. It's, it's to stage everything. Nothing is real anymore. Yeah. Like you think about like Rushmore, everything's shot on locations, you know, and then like the stage is the stage. But like now, it's like everything is a stage. Nothing is real. Everything is pure artifice. And I mean, he's obviously that's like something he's interested in. That's he's he's maybe he's trying to get at something with that. I don't know. But uh, it just doesn't work for me. Like that aesthetic is uh, uh, unpleasant to deal with for long periods of time, in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely like. I noted that my like favorite moment of this movie is uh, it's in the hospital with Deb Patel and Ben Kingsley and Richard Ioade, and they're uh, following the head wrapped Ben Kingsley. Uh, who can't see anything out of the hospital. And it's the only time like the camera is moving with the characters. And like, we are very clearly in a real place. Um, right. Oh, yeah, Cause the, sure. the sort of like diorama, like thing, like design constantly made the movie feel like animation, even when like, it's like technically it, it's not animated. And even at the beginning of the hospital sequence, um, Dev Patel, like almost looks fake the way that he's moving. He looks like sort of like a, a chatterbox um, like character who like his mouth is moving so quickly that it doesn't look like he's actually speaking uh, because the narration in this movie goes very, very quickly. It's very fast. Uh, mile, mile a minute the whole time. Um, and I just, you know, like the, the, the backdrops are, are beautiful, uh, but I, I just didn't think they, they just did not hold me. Uh, as well as I think Wes Anderson hoped they would. Yeah, and like if I was looking like looking at like all, all of the shorts, like I would say that I like I gave likes to um, Henry Sugar and to the last one, Poison, because both of those at least have you know like 
things going on. Like there's staging that happens and like, and like, um, like when, um, uh, he, Ben Kingsley goes to see the, uh, guru and like, they turn the, turn the box to, you know, optical, make it look like he's floating. Like, yes, that's, you know, that's interesting, but I did not really care for the second one because I thought it was like, it's, it's about this kid who's out in the middle of nowhere and he's being bullied by two, by two kids. And, uh, it's just Rupert friend, you know, narrating the whole thing. And it's just like, okay, like Wes Anderson's definitely done a good job of constantly concentrating the meanness that's in some of uh doll's stuff so like that one i didn't really care for and same with the uh, rat catcher it's like okay there's a little bit more going on and there's a little bit of stop motion with uh with a rat but again it's just like okay this yeah the constant you know narration it was you know like if i a wes anderson fan found it you know like I said, obtuse and, you know, like just a lot to deal with. Like, you know, obviously anyone who's not a fan is probably going to be like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, so, yeah, like if this were like a, you know, cohesive like movie, um, like this would probably this would probably get a four, but it would probably be on the bottom of my Anderson ranked list. Because like, yes. I appreciate I appreciate what's going on. Um, and, you know, these actors are having to do a shit ton of work, you know, so just from a technical aspect, they're doing a lot. And I think they deserve, you know, props for doing that. But at the same time, it's it's still, you know, very like. It's it's just it's too much. It's, it's too much. It's too much indeed. Yes. All right. Um, I watched uh, Reptile, another 2023 release on Netflix, directed by Grant Singer, who has done nothing I've ever heard of, so I'll skip that. Uh, Benicio Del Toro stars in this movie as a police officer who is a detective who's investigating a, a murder of a real estate agent who's uh, the wife of Justin Timberlake's character. And then there's also like other actors in this, like Alicia Silverstone plays Del Toro's wife, and Michael Pitt plays like this suspect. Carl Glusman's another suspect. Eric Bogosian's in this as the captain of the police force. Anyway, um, this uh, this is better than average, I'd say, as far as like uh, you know, cop procedural dramas go. It gets into the procedure a lot, which is nice. I like I like that. I think uh, Del Toro is quite good in it. He's you know he's super reliable. You always like Del Toro. I think if there's a weak link in this, it's twofold. One is Justin Timberlake, who is uh, no. I don't out of his depth here. I don't know. I, I like Justin Timberlake as an actor usually, but in this one, I don't know, man. He's got to do some stuff that just does not ring true. And Insync um, is back. I know. It's his moment. Uh, the other problem I have with this movie is uh, Michael Pitt's character, who is Michael Pitt's doing a real uh, Jared Leto kind of thing. If you guys remember oh, the, no. the little the little things, you guys remember that movie with Denzel and uh, uh, Yes, that's unfortunate. 
Yeah, he's that doing that <laughs> essentially. Uh, he's I like Michael Pitt too. You know, I think he's like a good actor uh, when he when he has good. I don't even know what to say. Like I, because he's he's totally responsible for his performance in this. But <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, he's just there's just weird shit. Like this, his character is so put together to look like a slob, you know, and like mm-hmm. a weirdo and a creeper. And it's a big red herring. Obviously it's obvious. That it's a red herring. And like, there's a moment I made a note of it. There's a moment where he, he's in his apartment. His apartment is fucking disgusting. It's filthy. There's shit everywhere, you know? And then he goes to the microwave to warm up his, you know, his, uh, fucking TV dinner. And the microwave is clean. Like this guy is cleaning his microwave. <laughs> or he doesn't. He hasn't showered in days. Like this guy is cleaning his microwave. Get fucked. It's absurd. Mm. <laughs> so I did not care for that moment. And uh, but other than that, I'd say it's a pretty solid. And Carl Glusman's like barely in it. He's in like he's in two scenes, and they're not long scenes. And he doesn't have a lot to do. But other than those uh, problems, maybe. Uh, it's pretty, you know, it's good. It's better than average, like I say. And it's more like a light four, but it's good. I, I enjoyed it. JR? I'm, uh, I'm out uh, of movies. I guess I'll, I'll just say that I uh, I made sure I caught up with the uh, Reservation Dogs. Oh. Uh, third season. Watched the season finale. This was definitely... Um, a very different season than the previous two. I have, I have loved this show. I uh, loved every second of the first two seasons. And um, yeah, initially I was like, I don't know what they're doing in this yeah. third season. While it's still like funny, I just couldn't really figure out what the, what it was, what the plan was, especially like where the second season ended. But um, uh yeah, I was joking about crying during theater camp earlier, but like during the season finale, series finale of Reservation Dogs, I was legitimately uh, like crying the entire like 38 minutes. Um, this has been easily one of my favorite shows in recent memory. It's it's so good, and um, it's like so consistently like powerful while being really funny. Uh, very happy that I decided to watch this. Yeah, recommend. Hey, yeah, I've been like shitting I, on everything today, so <laughs> do that. Yeah. I also finished watching Reservation Dogs, and I would agree with everything that Jr. says. Like, uh, yeah, this this one, like, um, yeah, they they definitely, I don't know, maybe maybe they knew it was going to be the last season, so they they got in, they tried to get in um, as much as they could. But yeah, there's a lot of like impactful stuff about like um like uh the the just the horrible things that have been done to indigenous people in this country and you know like most of it like within living memory like not you know some rant not some stuff that happened back in the 1800s like we're talking like this stuff was going on back in like the 70s and shit so mm-hmm. um yeah. Kevin, if you're interested, and anyone who's listening, if you're interested, Sterling Harjo, the uh, creator, writer, occasional director of the series, um, he did an interview with uh, a podcast called The Watch. It's a ringer podcast. 
mostly talk about TV. And um, it was, he talked about how, like, while initially writing the third season, they were like, we can do this with five. And he was planning on having a fourth season that was totally set in the 70s. And uh, and was like, like, FX was not really into this idea. And um, it was just like, it would be like too unwieldy. And they, uh, and once they kind of chopped some things off and like moved some episode ideas around, they were like, oh, this is, this is the end. So yeah, I think it like, it wasn't forced to be the end. It wasn't always mm. supposed to be the end, but it like kind of molded itself into what, uh, or at least what he said, like just uh, was an ending that made a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, if there, if there was an entire, if there was an entire, uh, season set in those, uh, seventies scenes, like there's like, there's one episode that's like, like if you look on IMDb, like the plot synopsis literally says dazed and confused. Yeah. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's another one that it's like, Oh, I, I don't know if I could have dealt with an entire season of that. Like that would have been really rough to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you yeah. like the, uh, did you like the Alora's father episode, Kevin? <laughs> that was very entertaining. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Huge. Uh, huge, only time they had a well, not maybe not the only time. Biggest guest star, and it was uh, it was great. Yeah, like um, yeah, like the only the, the only thing uh, thinking about it now is like I wish they could have gotten uh, Michael Gray eyes in there. In oh yeah. Some, in some in some capacity, because like. Wild Indian was fucking great, and yeah. you know, and he's in stuff. You know, he was in like the last season of True Detective. Um, I'm pretty sure he was in Hold the Dark too. Not that that's something to be proud of, but um, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I started watching uh, the AMC show called uh, Dark Winds. Oh yeah, uh, basically because I I like Zom McLaren so much as uh, like the like tribal police chief. In this mm. little town um and it, it he's hilarious and yeah. uh, dark winds is a very i don't, I don't know if the show is humorless but like he as a character is often like just humorless he's so serious and um it's my kind of show no the show humor. like the show <laughs> the show is okay like um it's a murder mystery and the way that the murder mystery plays out in the first season and it's only it's only six episodes so it's not too too much of an investment but the uh Ooh. it's it's pretty good. I like the characters. I don't love the mystery. Um, but the first couple episodes of the the second season are, are really good. And for some reason, there are AMC shows on Max right now, which is uh, also why I started watching that. Yeah, I saw I saw it's on there. I was going to add this to my list. I'm going to watch it, too, I think. I've been the second it. season is not there, just by the way. I can. I can. So gotta, yeah, but it, it was it was like I was never going to like download the show and watch it that way but they made it easily available and uh and now i'll go out of my way to find the second season all right cool kevin uh i'll just go through a couple real quick uh i watched uh steve jobs which i enjoyed um michael fassbender is really good at being an asshole and uh Mm -hmm. liked uh liked seth rogan and kate winslet in it a lot Catherine waterson like especially in the first little bit that she's in, she's very like screechy. And it's like, I don't know if that's the, 
best way to do your character, but whatever. Um, let's see. And then I watched uh, XTC, This Is Pop, which is a documentary about that band, which is decent. And I also watched Infinity Pool, which um, for all Cut. of its, you know, no, the uncut. Cut or uncut. Okay. Uncut, yeah. Um, which I, I don't know. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was well done. But again, like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe somebody besides uh, Stellan Skarsgård could have sold that character a little better for me. I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, three out of five on that one. And uh, like I told, like I told you guys earlier, um, if uh, if you're looking for something good but you don't mind being super depressed, <laughs> Chernobyl. Mm. Um, like I, I was, you know, like like with the uh, True Detective, I was seeing clips from it on uh, TikTok, and I was like, well, I gotta check it out now because um, I'm pretty. I remember, I think Jonathan like really dug it. Yeah, so, he raved. Yeah, and I, you know, for good reason. Like it's so good, and like, and yeah, like like I say, just insanely depressing. Like. Yeah, I uh, I liked it a lot. I watched um, I watched the first two episodes with my wife, not as they were coming out, but I, I think in the same like, calendar year at least. Mm. And uh, we just never finished it. Like some one friend of ours was like, "Oh, I want to watch that with you. I'll come over and watch it." And obviously, that never happened. Uh, abandoned it, but I think I watched it like earlier this year because I wanted to watch it before. Uh, the zombie show came out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like uh, you know, like the creator of Chernobyl. Did was what's that called? Um, the, the Last, Last of, of Us. us? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and I yeah was very happy. I watched uh, Chernobyl. Not you know mod- moderately okay with the fact that I watched The Last of Us. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I will say uh, for anyone for anyone who is an animal lover, there's just one there's one episode where you you should just skip it. You just flat out should skip it. The whole thing, <laughs> huh? Well, yeah. Well, fast forward through anything where anytime you see Barry Keoghan on screen, fast forward through that. Barry is not bad. But what he what his character is tasked with is like anyone who's a pet lover is not going to be okay watching that. No. All right. It's the I'll, most uh, normal he's ever been. Oh. Probably. Oh. Young Pavel. Okay. Uh, last thing I have to talk about is um, Demons. It's a 1971 samurai film directed by Toshio Matsumoto. Um, I found a list of, uh, or like a playlist of YouTube uh, videos of avant-garde short films that was posted on an avant-garde short film list that I followed on, uh, or that I liked on Letterboxd. And I watched the first maybe five or six of those films, and they're all by Matsumoto. And I liked them, and I was intrigued, and I went and looked at his filmography, and it uh, turns out he directed uh, Funeral Parade of Roses, which I had heard of. And, uh, and also this other movie, Demons, 
which is uh which you know seemed really intriguing to me and i was reading about it and i looked it up and it's on youtube and um so i watched it and it's fucking awesome spoiler (laughs) it's really good you should watch this uh it's uh about a a ronin a uh exiled samurai who um He's trying to like buy his way back into his clan, and he needs a hundred Rio to do that. But he's also dating a prostitute, and he has to like pay for her to get out of the prostitution. You know, like he has to buy her essentially, and that costs a hundred Rio. So now he doesn't know what to do, like how to spend the money. And then some stuff happens. I really don't want to say much about what happens. It's pretty fucked up and amazing, and uh, <laughs> it's just a great. <laughs> It's a really good story, and it's uh, Matsumoto is just he. Everything in this movie is just like cloaked in shadow, like it's just nonstop shadows everywhere. It it's very claustrophobic because of that. It's like every room that they're in, you can barely see like outside of the space that the two actors are in when they're talking. It's just blackness all around them, and uh, it just creates this really like sort of like ominous, scary situation, and. Uh, it's just incredibly well directed and there are there's a there is a sequence of astonishing violence in the middle of it and I, when i say astonishing i mean 1971 it's insane how how intense this gets but uh it's it's good and uh i highly recommend it sweet i'm in yeah yeah i'm out that's all i got all right so uh, so Kevin's pick for next episode. Kevin, what do you got for us? All right. So we we are going to watch Slaughterhouse 5 from 1970 something or other directed by George Roy Hill. 1972 directed by George Roy Hill and based on the Kurt Vonnegut novel. Old Billy Pilgrim. All right. Uh yep. yeah. Gonna watch Slaughterhouse Five for next time, guys. It's our second George Roy Hill film of the podcast. Whoa! And the last one was a Kevin pick too. Yeah, <laughs> this guy loves George Roy Hill. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, yeah. So we're gonna watch uh, Slaughterhouse Five, and uh, until next time, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I guess is that a thing? And. Uh, Visit our website at filmmacpodcast.com. Email us at filmmacpodcast.gmail.com. And uh, that's it. You can stop listening now. So it goes. Goodbye. <laughs>